for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Critically analyzing global affairs, this is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he'll be extradited, renditioned to the United Soviet States of America. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. Also, the London premiere of The Trust Fall Julian Assange will be at Rio Cinemas this Sunday, February 18th at 1 p.m. The film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tariq Ali, Kristen Hraffensen, and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, go to Google and search for The Trust Fall Julian Assange London premiere. As always, TNT is lighting the fuse for freedom. Uh, yeah, that's what's that's what's going on. So hopefully Julian does not get extradited. Uh, and hopefully somehow he gets to be free, reunited with his family, uh, and can, continues to do the work that he does. Some more news. NATO prepares for war with russia by holding largest military exercises since the cold war aimed to prepare for a potential war with russia nato's steadfast defender exercises have become the alliance's largest military drill since the cold war nato's military committee chair admiral rob bauer has uh, said the experience gained during the steadfast defender exercises is expected to form the basis for NATO's plans to deploy and reinforce forces in Europe in case of war. The exercises started January 24th and will and are continuing until the end of spring 2024. So it looks like they're wargaming prepping for War NATO aims to demonstrate the alliance's capacity to swiftly deploy forces from North America and other regions to reinforce Europe's defenses. NATO officials believe you gotta love this. You gotta you gotta love this. Uh, I'm gonna word it my way. Uh, the, the, the North America, the, the North Atlantic terrorist organization officials believe Russia, as an aggressor nation, will likely attack a NATO member country not only ukraine of course uh, nato united states is in no way an aggressor nation united washington did not invade iraq which didn't do anything to it american troops are currently they're not in syria they they never bombed libya a country which did nothing to them uh, they're not supporting the aggression in yemen none of that is happening Russia is the aggressor, China, North Korea, Venezuela. Total, to total twilight zone here. But anyways, just the fact that they're, they're wargaming this and we, we see this sort of rhetoric in the Western media is it's it's cause for concern. This is what they're thinking. This is how they're thinking. This is how they're preparing their populations. 
I hope that wasn't a gunshot. <laughs> I think it's probably just a tire blowing out. Oh, Mexico. There's another one. All right. Concern about Russia wanting to put anti-satellite nuke in space raises key questions. Russia and the U.S. have used missiles to destroy their own satellites uh, before. And so we have spoken previously of the space war. You can check out people like Brandon Weikarts uh, and others. We've had Bruce Gagnon on of, of Space for Peace. Uh, and, you know, it's it's there's a lot of implications, whether it's war or whether it's population control, you know, the whole Starlink SpaceX systems, which they're throwing up all those satellites, which would be used for the algorithm the ghetto. But there is some good news here. We got we got some good news. Sun emits intense solar flare. NASA telescope captures event images um, on uh, today on, on Friday, February 16th. NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory observed a strong solar flare, sudden powerful bursts of radiation emitted by the sun that peaked this afternoon. The images captured show three subsets of extreme UV light that highlight the extremely hot material in solar flares. When intense enough, solar flares can lead to disruptions in radio communications, affect electric power grids, interfere with navigation signals, and pose significant risks to spacecraft and astronauts, uh, and, and take down the algorithm ghetto. So, you know, I, I, that wouldn't be so bad, taking out the whole uh, Cobra, Cobra Commander Klaus Schwab's project uh, there. Newsweek, Newsweek continues with this narrative of, of sort of second civil war. They they um, today they publish a story titled "Map Shows States Most Likely to Secede." Twenty three percent of Americans would support the state they live in seceding from the United States and becoming an independent country, according to a new survey of thirty five thousand U.S. adults by YouGov. The poll found sharp divides in support for independence by states you have 36 percent in alaska 31 percent in texas and only 13 percent um, in minnesota would like to secede so we see that blue red divide uh, we also have reports that the u.s government will soon spend more on interest payments than defense how do you like them apple's treasury yields have sprung to multi-year highs forcing the u.s government to pay a lot more in interest and putting pressure on the budget the u.s government's expected to pay an additional 1.1 trillion dollars in interest over the coming decade the pentagon spends about eight to nine hundred billion on their annual uh defense um officially and uh re regarding the black ops who, who knows uh, about that and jeff bezos is dumping uh, dumps another two billion worth of Amazon stocks. So that's six billion in just six days. Jeff Bezos has dropped. Does he know something is is coming? Is the stock market about to crash? I guess we'll find out. Do you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival, or fundraiser that could do with some free publicity? TNT wants to promote it for you. Simply visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT website. Submit your event details, and we'll get the word out, helping you make a difference on today's News Talk TNT. The facts. No spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies. We need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio TNT.
information technology and software maker Cisco has announced its plan to cut about 4,250 of its human employees as it steps up its focus on artificial intelligence. Here with the story, joining us once again, TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Wow, it's happening, Rory. Uh, AI took our gerbs. Um, so uh, the layoffs at the, uh, I believe they're based in San Jose, California, uh, this company, Cisco, uh, the layoffs account for approximately 5% of the company's global employment of approximately 85,000 workers, and it will cost $800 million in pre-tax charges to pay severance and benefits for the outgoing employees. CEO Chuck Robbins told investors the company continues to align investments with future growth opportunities while its innovation, quote, sits at the center of an increasingly connected ecosystem and will play a critical role as our customers adopt AI and secure their organizations, end quote. Robbins made the remarks despite fewer than one in five of the companies surveyed by Cisco saying they were ready to integrate AI. Hmm, interesting. Statements were provided during a second quarter earnings report that revealed the company's $12.8 billion in revenue was 6% less than the previous year. However, Cisco still has $800 million in operating cash flow and has returned $2.8 billion to shareholders. As noted by the New York Post, the company also cut its annual revenue expectations by around $3 billion, expecting somewhere between $51.5 and $52.5 billion. About a week prior to the report, Cisco announced a partnership with chip maker NVIDIA to offer, quote, simplified cloud-based and on-prem AI infrastructure, end quote, to its customers. This would help support advanced AI workloads, as explained by the CEO, Robbins. Cisco hopes to push its customer base into relying more on artificial intelligence, even producing a quote-unquote Cisco AI readiness index, a survey on over 8,000 private and business sector IT leaders. The survey revealed that 84% of the companies thought AI would have at least a quote-unquote significant impact on their business in the future. However, just 14% say, say that they are fully ready to integrate AI into their businesses. That figure was followed by Cisco's command prompt that, quote, businesses need to be AI ready, end quote. According to the same survey, the top fields currently employing AI services are IT infrastructure companies, 84%, and cybersecurity companies, 83%. Cisco has estimated that generative artificial intelligence, that is AI that generates content in response to a prompt, could add up to $4.4 trillion to global GDP each year. Presumably, that comes at the cost of disconnecting from human workers, as Cisco appeared to be revealing as its strategy. In 2023, Cisco threw its hat in the ring to help Gen AI personalize a student's learning experience. Cisco said it would provide input to Teach AI, a new AI resource for educators formed by everybody's favorite WEF, the World Economic Forum. 
Teach AI's first listed quote unquote value stated that it focused on centering quote students and educator needs with a focus on equity end quote. Well, there we have it, Herbori. What do you think about this? Well, it's it's a trend. Everyone's hopping hopping on board. If you're a business owner or if you're a big business, who wouldn't want to save money? It's just logical, uh, I guess. You know, it said the layoffs, which will cost the company uh some 800 million in pre-tax charges um but you know i imagine how much money they'll be saving and i you know if you know if i owned a business as an individual and if i could just have ai software to do a lot of the work and forego hiring someone and paying them a salary i i guess it makes sense I, it's hard to argue against that although it's worrying you know anytime you mention world economic forum uh, as you just did pushing a lot of this ai um stuff and you know i think we, also today we saw news about was it sam altman and did this new ai that's coming out i just saw briefly the clip before logging on where it's it's this ai can now create realistic looking videos and so i was talking to an attendee here a businessman at anarchapulco a true anarchist who he's he's um he's convinced that a lot of this stuff is going this way he believes in a lot of the transhuman type um technology you know we were even talking to Vit Yedlich of Liberland last hour and he's um he was talking about how his country is being run by the blockchain and basically algocracy which I worry about um and so there's good technology here there's potential for it to be used for tyranny i don't know uh ruckus uh, i hope the ai won't replace you and 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 me what do, what do you think well i hope not either but unfortunately the sad reality is that that very well could be a reality someday um you know how it is uh so the whole world is this is whose fault is this this is not cisco's fault this is not the company, the CEO, Chuck Robbins' fault. It's the consumer's fault for, you know, using this crap. You know what I mean? If there was no end user where other businesses or companies were seeking out this product from Cisco, then Cisco would have to continue doing what they normally do. Uh, just a sign of the times, uh, my friend, unfortunately. But, like, this is something that I actually reported on many years ago on my earlier podcast I used to do, Daily Ruckus, and uh, I did a series of these types of stories where I was insinuating that before too long, our jobs were going to be replaced by robots and artificial intelligence. I named this series that I did Robo Jerks. Uh, but, you know, sure enough, here we are two, three years later or whatnot, and it's a reality. So I don't know. I just, I, what, what else can we do? What can we say? You know, is the whole world ready to, to put it, pull the brakes on and, and put it in reverse? I don't think so, unfortunately. Maybe we're wrong about all this. Maybe AI is going to usher in this wonderful, wonderful unicorn roses utopia where I can just sit at home. 3d print some guns 3d print some steaks um and life will be wonderful no ruckus no I, it's like the guy in the matrix right he wants to i know it's not cypher. steak and then cypher yeah cypher thank you yeah no I, I i'm okay with the truth and i'll go without steak give me the blue pill i want the if taste I of that 
steak or you can go this weekend enjoy some wonderful texas barbecue uh and i'll continue with my tacos here in mexico have a great weekend ruckus we've got um a wonderful financial analyst uh from canada joining us peter han uh feel, again feel free to uh call in with with questions or drop them in the chat or my email we'll be right back now as we move into an election year in u.s politics at a time when the western empire is under attack from within as if an orchestrated decline is the plan whilst at the same time the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures absolute power corrupts absolutely and the truth shall set us free those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death destruction deceit and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite of course and then we have seen how that system works weekends with jason olborn on today's news talk tnt tnt is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do tnt is a live radio and tv broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day seven days a week no one in the world does what we do crisscrossing the globe providing credible news and opinion all day and all night in two and a half years tnt has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff it's a critical time and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors we're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to tntradio.live and make a small donation to tnt while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission the conversation continues i don't believe it and i think that's a terrible position that i am in that i don't trust my government this is today's news talk radio tnt all right joining us for the first time on this rebel transmission is peter han who's had over a quarter of a century uh worth of financial market experience and treasury related activities including financial risk management treasury cash management governance administration and operational risk assessment he's presented briefings personally to the governor of the bank of canada he's been presented in media such as newspapers and radio and has made live financial presentations to large conference audiences his daily market commentaries have been repeatedly praised for their informative concise and entertaining content in multiple business roles you can find him on twitter x at peter r han followed by the number one welcome to tnt peter thank you very much nice to be here uh, I, I found you uh, not too long ago somewhere on the socials. I caught, I caught an interview uh, of yours, and I enjoy your commentary. Is there anything that I left out from your bio? Uh, anything else you wish to tell us about the work that you do? Uh, yeah, I mean, just yeah. I mean, you did a pretty good job. But the uh, the main thing is, yeah, I was uh, interested in foreign affairs from a young age. My dad was a foreign service diplomat for Canada. I was born in Holland. I spent uh, eight years in the in the Midwest US and I uh, briefly moved to Canada and then I went to Australia for high school. So of my first 18 years, about, you know, two thirds of it was outside the country. Uh, so it's given me an interesting perspective on things and uh, it's sort of focused my entire career in terms of international finance, international trade, international politics. So. All right. Yeah, that's great that you have that um, global 
perspective and uh you know maybe to start to get your uh thoughts on the state of the global economy things don't look good how are how are you seeing it yeah i mean it's a mess to say the least um my favorite line that i use in briefings uh tends to be you know we we hear the chinese have a proverb or a curse basically may you live in interesting times and we've been living in, in very interesting times they get more interesting every day so in terms of where the the global outlook is uh it really is a bit of a mess um and, you know there and of course we don't have unlimited timer so i won't go into a long diatribe but really this is a function of of progressive uh consecutive moves by global central banks to inject liquidity to stave off problems and in in, in effect basically kicking the can of problems down the road uh, you know, the most notable, of course, is 2000, 2008, uh, where, you know, the Fed engaged in quantitative easing for the first time, creating uh, a Fed balance sheet from, you know, leaving the balance sheet go from one trillion to four trillion. And that's all liquidity to basically sop up the uh, the losses that were incurred by the financial institutions, the global financial institutions, not just U.S. financial institutions in the the, the global financial crisis uh, in, in basically investing in. Uh, real estate uh, uh, type investments in the U.S. Um, so yeah, like we we if you look at what's happened since 2008, there was an attempt by the Fed to try and normalize things after the fact. Uh, they were never very successful. Uh, the balance sheet got to about 3.7 trillion, and then we had more issues come up in 2018, 2019. The Fed basically reversed course, and, and instead of tightening my conditions, they loosened it. Uh, and really what that is, is you, you saw in 2018, 2019, you saw yields in Europe go to negative, which which basically tells you that uh, there, you know, there was a significant, you know, there's two things, there's too, too much debt, there's too much banks, you know, central banks buying, buying debt, which uh, enabled people to issue more debt uh, and people became addicted to being able to issue debt cheaply. And so, you know, you, okay, well, this issue more debt as a company and we'll buy back our stocks. So you saw significant asset inflation when you had negative yields in Europe and you, in fact, in, in Denmark, I think they had a negative mortgage. So you had a situation where the the financial system is relies on real positive real rates to, to actually calculate future values. And when you start distorting interest rates by, in direct and continued central bank intervention, you distort the financial pricing model. And so, you know, even before COVID, uh, we were seeing dislocations in asset markets in terms of pricing. And and when you have what happened with COVID, you had a, an extreme central bank reaction throughout the globe, in, inducing even more liquidity to the point where you've gone into insanity, really. And, and you know, if you want to, and of course, I became popular on the net because I started talking about the meme stocks such as GameStop and AMC. But, you know, there were other instances like Hertz basically declaring bankruptcy and yet people were buying it. Uh, turned out that wasn't such a bad investment after the fact. But, you know, all this, you know, and then you can point to Tesla and you can point to what's going on right now in NVIDIA. And it's just there is too much liquidity that's still in the system. It distorts risk taking. It it creates asset bubbles. And, and that's where we're at right now. The central bank you know, basically induce so much liquidity that it, you know, there were also contributing issues to supply, supply factor issues to the code of it and geopolitics, obviously. But you have a situation where all that liquidity caused uh, inflation to creep up and inflation had been subdued for 
for 20 years because of China entering the global financial system and basically exporting deflation. Well, China stopped exporting deflation. And when you had COVID and everything else, the supply chains completely broke down. So we had a bout of inflation and the central banks tried to gaslight everyone by saying, yeah, don't worry about it. It's transitory. It's not nothing to worry about. Two years later, well, I guess we need to worry about it and our credibility is the line. So we're going to hike them as aggressively as ever we ever hiked before. Uh, you know, in, in terms of the pace of the hikes. And then you get to where we are now, and the central bank continue to start to try to play hawkish, but they can't do what I call a Vockler, which, of course, in the late 70s, early 80s, when the Fed raised rates to 15, 18% in a span of about, you know, three or four years. Uh, they, you know, the issue is global debt levels, as I said, were a lot lower back then. So now you're you're trying to increase rates in an environment where the, the global level absolute global debt everywhere is, is so much more. Um, you know, I think the US budget is sorry, the but US debt is now 34 trillion. So, you know, trying to do what they did in the 80s is not possible because you're just right now, I think the debt servicing on the US budget deficit, over 50% of revenues are allocated toward debt servicing. So where are you going to put the money to, to keep paying higher interest rates? So the Fed cannot hike rates, even though they they have to sound hawkish. They so they're, they're walking a tight right tight rope right now in terms of trying to look credible in times of fighting inflation when in fact the treasury can't afford higher rates. So they're giving the market sort of you know the the bone of like yeah we're we're pricing in rate cuts. You know Jay Powell said in in December last year yeah like uh, we're probably done hiking. The Bank of Canada of course said that uh, earlier as you know previously. So central banks are trying to say yeah we're we're, we're likely done but we're not shutting the door for future hikes, uh, future hikes, because we're looking at, you know, data dependency and look at strong economic growth and inflation data is not below our 3% target, blah, blah, blah. So they mean, well, they have to talk this way, but reality is there's too much debt and they, you know, and that's just the, the government that I'm talking about. And then you look at the mortgage situation, not so much in the U S because everyone can finance with 30 year mortgages and a lot of did, but in Canada, we have five year resets. And we already have a very highly inflated real estate market here. And, you know, about 50% of mortgage owners will have to renegotiate their mortgage for the next two years. And at current interest rates, that will basically mean a doubling or tripling of current mortgage payments. So, you know, there's warning signs flashing all over the place. And, you know, if I'm going down that tack, the uh, commercial real estate market in the U.S. is the topic du jour right now. Of course, that uh, is going to be a nightmare. And, and, it has been sort of, again, can-kicked because last year we had the regional banks in the U.S. Were, were facing a big meltdown because of potential deposit runs because people were concerned about having deposits at a bank that was exposed to commercial real estate. Well, the, the Fed created a pawn shop facility at the FDIC, which allowed the banks to park their bonds uh, at this facility. And these bonds would otherwise have been sold at 50% losses. So, you know, you, you avoided taking capital loss, you parked the bonds there, you got 100% collateral, which means to say that you were able to, to get the full value of those bonds without selling them. Uh, you were able to get liquidity and you were able to defer your, you didn't have to foreclose on these these commercial real estate loans. Uh, but again, that's all can kicking. That facility is going to end in, in March. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a big concern about the exposure of banks worldwide to the U.S. commercial real estate. And we're seeing, you know, stories in Germany and Japan about banks being, you know, 40% stock price drops overnight when, when you know, they're looking at the exposure to U.S. regional banks and U.S. commercial real estate. So it's all interconnected and it's just a replay of 2008, but on a much bigger scale. And, 
Um, the Fed is really yeah. trying to thread a needle here, but it, you know, we'll see if they're successful. That, that is frightening. Um, I still got another question on inflation. We got to go jump to our headlines. We'll be right back. Hear about it. We're depending on our congressmen. Talk about it. The people have to stand up and say enough. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died today in an Arctic penal colony. Navalny, a vocal critic of the Kremlin, had been serving multiple prison sentences, totaling over 30 years after returning from Germany, where he was treated for a nerve agent poisoning he attributed to the Kremlin. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, involved in the Trump case, was not questioned further in a hearing to determine her disqualification. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. We're talking to Peter Hahn. You can find him on Twitter X at Peter R. Han, H-A-N-N, and the number one, uh, as well as on LinkedIn. And, you know, you mentioned inflation. And, and the one thing I worry about is the erosion of the middle class and what some people like Joel Kotkin and others talk about, this neo-feudalism. You know, we've heard about this whole Great Reset stuff. And I, I fear we're, we're moving into this sort of neo-feudal uh, situation where, you know, I'm hearing from, I'm down here in Mexico, but I hear from people in the U.S. and in Europe and for especially the younger generation it's getting hard for full-time professionals to uh, buy a home um are you know the prices of everything everything's getting expensive and it's really cutting into the middle class any any thoughts on, on that yeah i mean it's to the topic i think uh, one of the turning posts on twitter today or x what are you going to call it uh officially the one percent now have more assets than the rest of the the middle what's defined as the middle class so when you have a very small portion of the population owns majority of the assets. You do become essentially a serfdom or a, a you know fife type uh, a global economy, and it is dis disconcerting. And of course, the the biggest in you know on on you know you follow social media. One of the biggest comments by a lot of people is like we're turning into uh, an environment where the game is so rigged it's it's as you said it's impossible for the average person to, to even contemplate something like owning a house and but yeah i was just talking about canada's real estate market and that's an exact case where it's becoming uh, the, where what, you know the, it, it, it boggles the mind so one of the issues is there's, there's plenty of land in canada in major cities you know, even in vancouver toronto there's still land to develop if, if you were able to have the people uh, with the incentivized to be able to create, but that takes time. Uh, and we, meanwhile, we had 1.2 million people come into the country last year and the U.S. has similar immigration issues. So what this is doing is it's creating distortions in, in the data because you're seeing, again, strong strong economic growth, uh, jobs growth and, and pricing demand. And where is this coming from? It's coming from people that are coming in that need housing, need food, need shelter, need cars, need need energy. Whereas the, the people already here, you're seeing being dislocated because they can no longer find a place to live. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, there's a sense from some that uh, the, the immigration is basically politically motivated in terms of buying votes. Uh, so so is that the immigrate, immigrants will vote for the, uh, the, the current parties in power. And anyway, this is dislocating current residents. And but it's it goes beyond that. It's just it, it causes again asset inflation. I talked about before. 
it's particularly in the property market and, and it becomes like okay these houses are so out of out of the stratosphere in terms of where they are relative to someone's income and, and yeah if you look at what's happened again the one percent their 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 wealth has grown dramatically whereas wage growth has not grown significantly in the last 20 years uh so again that that explains why the the wealth has shifted um so yeah if you're earning a, a regular income there's the value of the property that you're looking at, you know, 20 years ago would have been a lot easier to buy now. So you could, you know, there's a big contention on, you know, it's a generational issue where, you know, the millennials and Gen X will not, or Gen Z would not be able to, to afford the houses that the baby boomers were easily able to afford. And that's a, that's a legitimate concern. It's like uh, the, the income to, you know, to, to buy one of these houses now is astronomical. And I, I mean, I live in Calgary and we're seeing, asset prices go up dramatically in toronto they in vancouver they've been going up for the last two decades and it just it's it's impossible to contemplate and i i, I you can extrapolate that story to new york or los angeles or whatever major metropolitan city in the u.s it's probably the same issue so it is a big issue because traditionally property is you know globally property is the main source of wealth accumulation and it, you pass on it to your descendants you know like i'm going to you know, pass my house on to my kids so they have some some property. So that's traditionally been, uh, you know, not the stock market has been owning a house and being able to pass it on to the family uh, one way or the other. And, and if that if you cannot afford to buy a house, uh, the wealth the wealth effect means that again you're you're going to be paying more rent, and you're not going to be able to pro acquire property. And meanwhile, again, who's acquiring property? It's the the Black Rocks of the world. The uh, you know. The, the asset managers that are now buying up real estate and then you know using it to rent uh so you, again it's that that it calls into effect you're basically being a surf for a major corporation and you know if you wanted to go to the conspiracy route you could say well the corporations are um you know now basically dictating politics and so the the corporations now are basically the the landlords and the 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 overlords and so who's the, the government is just a figurehead for the large corporations. And so Larry Fink of BlackRock is actually more more powerful than the president. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it feels like it's getting that way. Um, it certainly feels like that big corporations have undue influence through their lobbying effects than than they should. And so that's a big issue that I see on on social media, the people that that talk to me and follow me, they're continually pointing out the frustrations they have with the, the current system. Yeah, I would totally... Uh agree with that and some of the other stuff i think i've seen you comment on uh maybe to get your thoughts on the dollar this process of de-dollarization and it feels like we're living in a time of great change i sometimes refer to it as the hundred year storm pax americana mm. seems to be declining there's bricks there's multipolarity uh, thoughts on you know the, the dollar de-dollarization and, and um you know these developments yeah the multiple yeah. world yeah, I mean, and there's a bit a lot of people that comment on that. I mean, of course, Ray Dalio of Bridgewater has made some, you know, very famous posts about the cycles of, of currencies. And, you know, we had the pound before that was the Dutch. Uh, and yeah, like, is it the dollars turned? You had Pax Americana for 100 years. Uh, you could maybe argue more than that. But it really, the US dollar came into its own after World War II. Uh, but, you know, and. I feel sometimes I'm labeled like a an old boomer type because I, I do like precious metals. And my issue is that when the dollar went off the gold standard in 1971, it became you know pure fiat. And that means it's basically backed by the good intentions of the central bank. Now, if the central bank is is responsible, then 
then the strength of the dollar should stay there. And, and in fact, when I talk about the Walker effect in the 80s, that was the, the entire reason for hiking rates is because inflation uh, through the Vietnam War, through the oil crisis had caused a devaluation of the dollar because dollars were printed to pay for, for the B Vietnam War buildup. So the, the Fed had to resort to hiking rates dramatically to get confidence back in the dollar. Uh, and then we had this period you call it almost the golden age where the central banks were able to keep inflation in that one to three percent band for so long that it's like, oh, you know, so the dollar's fine. You know, I trust the dollar. The Fed's got, you know, you know, there was there was this sense of the, the Fed was on the on the job and the dollar was fine. And that again, to me, that was disrupted in 2007, 2008, when you know, Fed Chairman Bernanke, who made a, a habit of studying the Great Depression and thought that the way of offsetting any kind of meltdown was to print more money. And then that's when the Fed started quantitative easing. And that really was for me to signal that, okay, what I was taught in school and what I was taught at the Bank of Canada is is not how they're going to operate anymore. And so their credibility is now at a risk. And that that was the whole point of normalization. They needed to get back to normalization to get back to where they were 2007 to get back that credibility. And they never did. And subsequent actions by the Fed and by the, the U.S. government in terms of the fiscal stimulus that's gone on since COVID. And I, I won't, ex you know, the Bank of Canada and the Canadian government done the same, and many industrialized countries have done the same. So it's not the Fed by itself, but collectively, they've all basically abandoned their responsibility towards fiat. So, you know, there's a lot of people, and myself included, that thought that precious metals, gold and silver would make a comeback. And that's another story for another interview. But you know, you have people chasing Bitcoin now because they just do not believe in the strength of the dollar longer term. And yeah, the big the big thing in terms of the BRICS that China after 2008 was furious with the U.S. for basically starting quantitative easing. They were looking for an alternative reserve currency because they had so much of the reserves in U.S. dollars. But it takes time to, to develop an alternative. They've been trying to develop capital markets in China, such as the oil futures market in Shanghai, to be in a replacement for the dollar. Uh, but it takes a long time to get a deep market. And the U.S. is so prevalent in, in debt capital markets and foreign countries borrowing that it, it's going to take you know decades for that to pendulum shift. Now, it's shifted faster now because of what the U.S. did with Russia's reserves. At the start of the Ukraine invasion, the U.S. froze Russia's assets. Uh, foreign assets. And and that basically signaled, okay, we're weaponizing reserves. And so therefore, do you really want to have your foreign reserves in U.S. dollars if the U.S. is going to seize them? And worst case, now you're seeing U.S. government officials talking about using those seized assets and, and giving them to Ukraine. So you're really weaponizing, you're basically, that would be uh, a signal that you're basically, any anything's on the table in terms of taking someone else's money. And it's it's outright theft, in my opinion. But, you know, that basically says anyone that has a possible worry that at some point the U.S. is going to try and use their reserves, they don't want to put them in U.S. dollars, the, the local terms. So the weaponization of the U.S. dollar has accelerated the trend towards looking for alternatives. And that is what the BRICS is all about. It's like, we do not want to be relying on U.S. capital markets. We do not want to rely on financing our trade in U.S. dollars. Why should we trade oil in U.S. dollars when we can trade in, say, Renminbi or Yuan? So that is, I think, getting steam. And that's why you're seeing more countries look to uh, find arrangements where they don't have to use the U.S. dollar. And ultimately, that will weaken the dollar. Uh, and that's in addition to all the debasement that's already occurred through 
you know, quantitative easing and through uh, fiscal stimulus and, you know, printing money, as I said, the, the debt, I mean, the whole other story about the, all the debt ceiling and the spending limit, you know, it's a farce. You've got uh, two of the rating agencies have taken the U.S. dollar credit rating from AAA. The other one has got it at native outlook. That's Moody's. You wonder when Moody's is going to make that move, because it's certainly there's no there's no sign that the U.S. is willing to be fiscal restraining itself at any time soon. So it's inevitable that Moody's will downgrade the U.S. as well. So you no longer have any rating agency giving the U.S. a AAA rating. And there's a lot of asset managers that still have to own AAA paper. So what are they going to do? They're either have to going to relax their credit standards or they're going to have to find something alternative to the U.S. dollar. So everything is pointing to a U.S. dollar, I, I won't say meltdown, but it could, it, it, it scenario could be several scenarios. It could be a, a gradual, slow weakening over time, or it could be like everything's fine moment and then snap. And it could be in historically these snap moments, you know, classic example of World War One, you know, the you know Prince of uh, Austria-Hungary was assassinated. All of a sudden, things go to hell. So it could be something as unpredictable as a random event starts the dollar collapse. So. Uh, I have a negative outlook for the U.S., but I cannot give an exact time frame uh, other than to say that uh, it's coming sooner than it might have given current actions by the U.S. government. Yeah, I have other guests on who say the same. It's it's time for our break. We'll be right back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting, and I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them, and remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently, they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go, and there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around $3.5 million, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But $1? Why would Michael Mann only want $1? You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, Think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. You're with Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
it's our final segment here with Peter Hahn. Um, my final segment here from Anarchapulco in Acapulco. I'll be back home uh, next week. But um, it, it, Peter, if you if you uh, want to remind us again, where are is there any best website uh, where people can go to to um, follow you? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've got several. I, I mean, I've been on uh, LinkedIn for about uh, 15 years. Um, so I just basically look at my my name's Peter Han CFA there. Uh, I'm I'm more active on Twitter just because uh, it tends to be more uh, just more responsive and more real time. Uh, my handle there is Peter R Han one uh, and Peter R Han H A N N one. Uh, I'm also uh, you can on my Twitter profile you can see I'm on a paid subscription site called slice i just started there where i'm giving economic and and market commentary as well as trade ideas predominantly in currencies but uh we'll see where that goes so all right uh very cool and just to what we were discussing previously maybe to get a little geopolitical you know there's this talk graham allison and many others talk about the thucydides uh trap do you think uh there's this potential for the great powers to go to war it sure seems like they're acting as if they are going to go many countries are reintroducing conscription my other country of croatia is talking about it serbia uk australia germany um they're modern they're modernizing their militaries um any thoughts on the potential for you know some type of third world war yeah i mean i'll be honest when February 2022 came around. I thought Putin was bluffing. Uh, I just, I, you know, in the context of like now in hindsight, okay, I can see why it happened, but I thought, well, it, it, it was a big colossal bluff. Uh, but I think really what it comes down to is at some point you get pushed to a certain point where, you know, the unthinkable becomes thinkable. And and again, it's, it's staggering to me be having grown up in the 80s with the threat of a, a nuclear war at any time uh and the utter relief that i felt in in 1990 and 1991 when the berlin wall fell and you know we the peace dividend and we thought okay yeah the new world order and all this stuff uh and yet here we are back to uh the kind of rhetoric we heard in the 70s and the early 80s and to me it's like mind-boggling and the people making these comments are the people that should know better because they they live through it as well so but I, I think really what happened was, uh, you know, and I'm not not even advocating that Putin was right, but there was a sense that NATO kept pushing eastward. And at some point they were pressing buttons that they didn't you know, necessarily need to push. Uh, and so as a result, we, we did see the Russian reaction. And now that in turn, Russia's, we could say, overreaction uh, has prompted reaction say and okay i'm i'm my background is half finished so you know the, for finland to join nato is extraordinary to me uh and i'm not saying it's unjustified i, I can totally understand their mentality it's like if they're willing to go into ukraine they, you know they what's to stop them from going into poland or finland and, and these are things where putin is claiming well it's not you know not our interest at all but you know then his prime minister makes threats like you know if you you know, we're going to blow up the UK. We're going to sink the UK. It's like the, you know, so it's contradictory language, uh, and and that's a problem. It's like where where is the real threat versus just a over hype? And and again, I previously in 2022, I would have said it's all hype, but no, I mean, you you actually invaded Ukraine, and the the interesting thing is there is no end game for Russia here. That that is a, is a win for them. It's like they 
if if they do take over Ukraine, they're a pariah for for you know decades, if not a century. If they if they don't, then they they're humbled and, and humiliated, and Russia cannot stand to be humiliated. So this is they're not going to go out. You know, there's also whatever three thousand tanks, and they're talking about. You know they're they're taking 50 tanks a day out of cold storage, and these are things built in the 1950s. But they don't care because it's just they're overwhelming the Ukraine with massive material and men. The biggest issue I think for Russia now is they're running out of men, uh, and so you know there's talk. I mean I've seen stories about Ukraine using um, Colombian mercenaries. You know Russia's probably looking for the same. It's like Russia has not been fiscally you know hurt. They've been able to sell their oil, so they have plenty of money, uh, gold. They can you know attract manpower that way, but it really seems to me a point where both sides have to come to some sort of resolution. And if they can't come to a resolution, that's where the problem is, is then you have escalation. And that's where I think, you know, this rhetoric about, oh, yeah, we got to rearm because if if Russia doesn't back down now, then they're going to be a problem for decades. And so we cannot afford to consider the 1990s peace dividend to still be active. So, you know, you're going to see this rhetoric grow and grow and grow. And the problem is, again, if we get to a, a 1970s war footing, you know, th- there were several incidents in the late 70s and early 80s where, you know, war games almost precipitated a, a nuclear strike. So and that's my concern is that we get to that point where someone makes a bad decision. And, uh, you know, when you have the kind of political issues going on in the U.S. where, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get too much into it, but, you know, Biden's age is considered a, a, a liability. And Putin, uh, sorry, Putin, uh, well, Putin too, but, you know, Trump is not that young either. So, uh, mental capability is, you know, when you get to this kind of rhetoric, it's like, do you do you want to have someone that you're not sure where they are? Uh, so that's my biggest worry is like we're just getting escalating to a point where we can't come back from and we're having do we have the right people in, in charge? So you also covered one of my biggest worries and my other big worry uh, as well. You know, we cover some of the stuff like the dollar and, and, and bricks, but I worry about the central bank digital currencies in the cashless system you know i've already been banned from paypal by my own department of homeland security just for having conversations like the ones that we are now it's like orwell coming to life you know thought crime uh, people are being debanked even in canada uh military yeah. veteran jeremy mckenzie um and for no reason just because their view jives with that of the states um thoughts on this push for cbdc's yeah, so two thoughts. I mean, there's part of me that's like always thought we're going to have one global currency at some point. And of course, this was a science fiction concept that, well, this will be a few hundred years from now. Um, but if you go digital, then it becomes a lot easier to do that. And, you know, again, Michael Saylor would say, well, Bitcoin will be the digital currency. Uh, I don't think central banks will ever give up that power. So, well, I don't think Bitcoin is now too established to go away, but you know, you've seen a determined push by central banks to start to try and regulate things. You've seen what the SEC has been up to, trying to to to, to tramp down on some of the other uh, alternative venues. And yeah, why is this? Because ultimately they need to have control over the money supply. And and one issue it goes back to the, so the inflation issue and the debt issue is like when if you go transition from a paper system, you know, to a digital currency, that is disruptive and it, it provides cover for. For hyperinflating away some of that debt, like you can, you can basically make conditions that oh, this this old debt is only worth fifty percent of what it was. So you know you can sort of when you change monetary systems, you can you know you can put gaps or you can transition stages. You can basically 
you know, it's a resetting all your mistakes. And so I think that's one reason why central banks will ultimately go that way is because the mess they've created already is not fixable unless we had a huge AI productivity boom. Uh, and even then, the, 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 you know, debatable whether that's likely, despite all the people that are bullish about AI right now. But yeah, the other issue and the bigger problem, as you noted, is the social control aspect. So you can program a digital currency in, in China. They've done things where, you know, it's got an expiry date. You have to use it by a certain time or you can only use it for certain things. Or, yeah, you, you, if you if you violate a social like if you say the wrong thing in public, you can get fined, you know, whatever half your your they can withhold money from you or what, you know, they, there's all kinds of permutations they can do here. And so you can pick any kind of science fiction movie, Demolition Man or something where, you know, you're you're basically, you're getting fined through your currency. And yeah, even in Canada, we haven't even got to a digital currency and, and we had a trucker's like, uh, you know, dispute about COVID restrictions and, and the government actually seized and froze people's accounts that were involved in that. And it's like, that is a prelude to what you're talking about is just control over someone's money just because they have a certain social opinion. Uh, and, you know, for me in Canada, we've always prided ourselves on, on free speech and, and, you know, charter of freedoms and rights. And yet that notwithstanding clause was used by the government to, to, to tramp down this trucker, uh, dis, you know, demonstration. And it is disturbing to me because that is, that could be a prelude to where things are going. And if, if caps in Canada, what's to stop it happening in a, in a less democratic country? Yeah, it's worrying. And you said it definitely. It's a, it's a prelude. Um, you mentioned gold we just got about th three minutes left um you know i think one answer is to have some gold it, it helps protect people in this sense um and preserve purchasing power um any thoughts on gold are you are you bullish on it um, uh and, yeah i'm longer term not? bullish if you look at what central banks are doing despite their their love of their own fiat they're all stockpiling gold china in particular stockpiling gold and if you talk about the BRICS being an alternative currency system my belief has been that to be effective you need to have that back you can have a digital currency like a digital one but ideally you need that base backed by commodities and i think that's what the idea of a BRICS is going to have a commodity based currency basket based on crude and based on gold uh and that is basically where i think their advantage is because the the western world has been selling their physical gold and silver to china and and it's been at the behest of the government, which has not wanted gold to be a, a good alternative to fiat. And they've let the bullion banks manipulate the, the gold market, the silver market. And you can see like JP Morgan got fined $900 million uh, a few years ago for, you know, spoofing the gold market. Uh, three of their traders went to jail and yet they are still allowed to be a major bullion bank. And again this is a topic for another story maybe but like the etfs are a vehicle for the banks to basically suppress the gold price suppress the silver price uh they 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 can take gold out of the etf and and use it as a basis for their shorts and then they they cover when it's convenient so they knock the price down so that's why if you're wondering all this demand for gold people talking about gold and yet you see gold and silver stuck in ranges uh but longer term supply demand will have to eventually cause prices to go higher all right. Well, um, thank, thanks for joining us first time on TNT. I, I love your work and, and um, commentary, and I uh, encourage people to, to follow Peter Hahn on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, and, and uh, his sites. And uh, again, thanks for coming on, TNT. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. That'll 
That'll do it for me from Anarchapulco here. They're doing the cl- closing ceremony. I, I, I missed it. Uh, I was doing my broadcast. And so, uh, yeah, I'll see everyone next week. Um, keep on rocking in a not-so-free world. Donate to TNT, buy some merch. Uh, and Steve Malzberg is up next. As Patrick McGoohan would say from The Prisoner, be seeing you.